creative babble. Okay, so we're heading, uh, we're in West Frankfurt, and we're heading to an address that we have for Gage Bethune. How many, how many possible locations could he be in? Well, that's a really good question, but we, we have four. And what we think, there's three here in Southern Illinois, and then there's one in Texas. John and I are searching for Gage Bethune. We got three locations to go to. We're gonna be driving for quite a while. We're going all over Southern Illinois to see these three places that are on Gage's list of where he lived. We're gonna to go to all three of them. Oh, yeah. All right, so where are we heading now? We are in El Dorado. Which could possibly be El Dorado. Yeah, I think it's El Dorado in Illinois. I think the locals say El Dorado, but it's definitely El Dorado. <laughs> right, and this is one of the four addresses that we uh, have for Gage. And it's also in many articles online when they referred to Gage Bethune, they would say, they would refer to him as uh, somebody from El, El Dorado or El Dorado. Uh, so we're gonna go check out this uh, house and see if it's possible that he still lives here. Well, there's uh, El Dorado uh, water tower. When I was a kid, that's how I used to judge the size of a town. I always used to ask people, how big is your water tower? <laughs> this is the Midwest, man. <laughs> says Smith Street. Okay, it's right on the corner here. No trespassing sign. So it doesn't look like anybody is home to Yeah, I don't see any cars at all. Now we're heading to the second location. So we're approaching an address that we believe uh, would be the second most likely place that, that Gage would, would live. And let me just tell you, we're we are in the middle of nowhere. There's like farm fields to the left and to the right. Uh, I don't think we're gonna find a Starbucks around here anytime soon, right? Nor anybody to help us. <laughs> this a house? Yep. Right here? Yep. So here you've got a vehicle. But look, there's somebody with a, a tractor. tractor. Yep. We were unable to locate Gage Bethune in Illinois. After more research, it turns out that Gage Bethune most likely lives near Dallas, Texas, working in construction. But we were unable to get in touch with him. Wherever he currently is, he's not behind bars. I'm John Taylor with the Twisted Podcast. And I'm Javier Leva with the Pretend Podcast. And this is Criminal Conduct Season 4, Getting Away with Murder. taste of rare bourbon you finally got your hands on that's nice at caskers.com we make this experience easy caskers is a one-stop spirit curator with an impressive selection of exclusive sought after rare and household names in the realm of premium spirits and champagne discover the top flavors of the year now by going to caskers.com and using code welcome 10 for ten dollars off your first purchase get ten dollars off your first purchase with code welcome 10 at caskers.com the family of Praveen Verghese has long waited for this day. You know, he's our only son. And uh, it's not easy 
And this fight hasn't been easy. A downstate grand jury indicting 22-year-old Gage Bethune of El Dorado, Illinois, on first-degree murder in connection with Verghese's 2014 death. The parents of a college student found dead in 2014 may finally be getting justice. And now a grand jury has indicted the man last seen with the victim. A grand jury indicted Gage Bethune on two counts of first-degree felony murder on July 13th of 2017. One was predicated on armed robbery and the other on aggravated battery. I'll never, ever forget it as long as I live. And he said, I just wanted to call and let you know that the grand jury just came back with two counts of first-degree murder on Gage Bethune. He's about to be arrested. <laughs> According to the grand jury indictment, quote, Gage Bethune committed the offense of first-degree murder in that he, in committing or attempting to commit a forcible felony with an independent felonious purpose, namely aggravated battery, knowingly, made a physical contact of an insulting or provoking nature, inflicting by defendant's own statement multiple punches to the head and face, rendering the victim, quote, dead weight. The special prosecutor said that Gage Bethune knowingly made physical contact, and this word knowingly will come back in a major way. It was elation and shock. I mean, it was just so shocking that it was something it was it was real in that moment it took our breath away and we we cried and cried and cried and screamed and cried for like way too long to where he's like okay are you okay you know what i mean she's like yes i'm okay i'm a, we're just so happy for three years lovely and monica fought to bring Praveen justice they never believed the first autopsy when the pathologist failed to identify any obvious injuries and also they didn't accept my car's report when he said that Praveen was just drunk and died of hypothermia. I never doubted my son's death. I knew from day one that he was injured and someone caused those injuries to him. Regardless, most of that time, they didn't get anywhere. Lovely and Monica didn't give up though, but most of the people thought it was a hopeless matter. And I had a husband telling me, don't you dare. Do not talk about a deceased kid. What if this kid from Chicago was bad? What if he is a drug dealer? What if the kid from our area is good? What if this family doesn't want you to talk about him? Do not do this. Like, I don't support this. My husband the whole time was like, this is not great. So when we got the charges of murder, that was my validation to him. That was his validation of all the time and effort that they sacrificed away from me. And he was like, hell yes, you guys, yes, you did it. Like, then it was real. Whenever the man showed in and the prosecutor did his thing and made the charges, then our husbands were like, thank you, God. The indictment was a huge turning point. For Lovely and her family, there was a lot to be grateful for. But after his arrest, the judge set bail for Gage at $1 million. However, his father put up the bail money, which in Illinois means he had to fork over $100,000. And with bail being posted, that means that Gage was able to stay home leading up and during the trial. And that's a good thing for Gage because it took an entire year for the trial to begin. What was your mindset? How did you feel during that year, that waiting? What were your thoughts? I thought the trial was going to start the next month. I had no idea. 
But then David Neal said, you know, you have to realize there are many, many procedures in between. There are so many pre-trial motions. So, John, let's talk about the charges. So, Gage was charged with first-degree felony murder. And so, I'm pulling from the actual law here. And what it says is, a person commits the offense of first-degree felony murder when he commits a forcible felony other than second-degree murder. And a death results as a direct and foreseeable consequence of a chain of events set into motion due to the underlying felony. And in this case, that's robbery and aggravated assault. And it's immaterial whether the killing is intentional or accidental. It just must be direct and foreseeable. And by reading that description, John, it kind of makes sense in Praveen's case. You know, there was a chain of events that led to his death. So I could see that matching. But what else? What other charges could a prosecutor charge Gage with in this case? So I'm sure they looked at a number of charges. So there could be first degree murder, which is intentional premeditated murder. There's second degree murder, which is intentional, but lacks the premeditation. There's voluntary manslaughter, which is often interchangeable with second degree murder. And that's kind of considered like in the heat of passion, things that would result in somebody not necessarily being able to think clearly. And then there's involuntary manslaughter, which is the killing of another human where someone is criminally negligent, but without intent. So if you were driving drunk and you end up killing somebody or driving recklessly and somebody dies, that would be involuntary manslaughter. And in this case, the prosecutor chose first-degree felony murder. Gage Bethune, who was 23 years old at the time, pled not guilty. But John, let's play devil's advocate. I mean, were these the right charges? I mean, first-degree felony murder? That seems kind of harsh, doesn't it? I mean, Praveen died of hypothermia. I mean, it could have been an accident. To me, I don't know. I mean, I'm wondering, is this the right charge? I think there needs to be intentionality for there to be murder, but that's not how the law in Illinois is written. Based on how the law is actually written, it appears to be the right charge. Man. All right, well, we'll get into the trial after the break. Ladies and gentlemen. What are you doing? What do you mean? I'm making Just keep it simple. I'm making the promo. Just keep it simple. Just say, hey, we're the Brav Bros, two guys that talk about Bravo. Ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, we're the Brav Bros. No. Oh. Dude, stop with the voice. Just the vo- keep it simple. I've seen promos on TV, dude. This is how you get the fans engaged. This is how you get listeners. We're trying to get listeners here. If we just say, oh, we're two dudes that talk about Bravo, people are going to get tired of it already. We need some oomph. All right, then fine. Let's try to do it with your voice. Brav Bros. Good job. A suburban mother will finally get her day in court in the death of her 19-year-old son, a student at Southern Illinois University. The trial began on June 4, 2018, more than four years after Praveen Varghese died, and a year after the indictment of Gage Bethune. One of the witnesses to take the stand was the original pathologist, Dr. James Jacoby. In his testimony, Dr. Jacoby indicated that the lesions above Praveen's right eyebrow had post-mortem discoloration, which were most likely caused by abrasions and environmental factors. He also testified that the cause of death was hypothermia. I get that he still thinks that Praveen died of hypothermia, but he stuck to his original opinion that the massive bruise above Praveen's eye was just post-mortem discoloration and not blunt force trauma. I think 
he just couldn't admit that he was wrong. Yeah, and the defense attorneys asked about how Praveen's injuries would have affected his ability to function. According to Dr. Jacoby, the injuries would not have caused his death and would not have caused him to be incapacitated and most likely would not have caused him to have a concussion. Dr. Jacoby said that there was nothing to support homicide. Dr. Ben Margolis, who performed the second autopsy for the Verghese family, also took the stand. He said the injuries to Praveen's face and head were blunt force trauma. Dr. Scott Denton, the chief pathologist with the McLean County Coroner's Office, also testified. At Mike Carr's request, Dr. Denton reviewed both autopsies. He says that he believes that the cause of death was hypothermia, but that the manner of death was undetermined. In his report, he identified that there was an accumulation of blood just above the right eyebrow between the skull and the scalp. It sounds like the state's expert found blunt force trauma to Praveen's head. Dr. Denton also testified that the discoloration, instability, and appearing to be intoxicated are all side effects of hypothermia. Illinois State Trooper Chris Martin testified about his interactions with Gage Bethune in the early morning hours of February 13, 2014. The trooper described Gage's story as questionable. He said he didn't believe what Gage told him. Trooper Martin said he shined his flashlight in the direction of the woods, but he didn't see anything and left. The trooper didn't write a report on the incident until 11 days after the fact. The trooper wasn't even aware Praveen was missing until February 17th of 2014, four days after the incident, because the only information he had was what Gage told him, which was misleading at best. So, John, what are your thoughts on Gage testifying in his own defense? Yeah, I mean, most defense attorneys advise against it. They feel like there's just too many risks for a defendant on cross-examination. They don't know what they're going to say. They don't know what they're going to be asked. I think Gage was in a tough spot because they were claiming self-defense. And when you have that as a defense, someone needs to explain how that's the case. So it kind of put Gage in a position where he had to testify to be able to explain actually what happened. Yeah, it was a risky move putting Gage on the stand because like you said earlier in a previous episode, Gage is in a league of his own in terms of lying, right? Yeah, I think that Gage believed that he could outsmart the prosecutor, but If so, I mean, he sadly underestimated David Robinson because on cross-examination, I mean, Robinson just beat him up and he got him to admit lie after lie during this investigation. And the one thing he got Gage to admit, which was just such a key point, was Gage said, yeah, I hit him one good time in the head, right where there are those massive bruises on his forehead in the pictures. And that pretty much sunk Gage. But One thing that Gage did do is he did deny taking or stealing anything from Praveen. Yeah, that was a huge admission by Gage regarding the punch. And even though Dr. Jacoby wouldn't admit to any kind of blunt force trauma, Dr. Margolis and the state's witness, Dr. Denton, seemed quite open to the idea of blunt force trauma to Praveen's head. And now with Gage's testimony, basically they had validation that Praveen was punched in the head where the bruises were in the pictures. Yeah, I mean, if Praveen entered the woods intoxicated, wearing only jeans and a t-shirt, with temperatures close to zero, and add to that a concussion, then Praveen was in really bad shape that night. Yeah, when Praveen entered the woods, even if we believe Gage's story 100%, when he went into the woods, his chances of survival at that point were not good. 
Several other witnesses took the stand, including Gage's mother and father, who painted a favorable picture of their son. There was another witness, Sarah Wilkes. It was her birthday party at 405 West College Street in Carbondale, where Gage and Praveen supposedly crossed paths. She said that she was surprised to see Bethune at the party. She said she asked him multiple times to leave because of problems that she had with him in the past. And then Desiree Dunning also took the stand. She hung out with Gage right after he left the state trooper on Route 13 on the night of Praveen's death. She was only 16 at the time. There were a lot of questions about what Gage Bethune did after he drove away from the woods that night. Obviously, there were concerns around other contact he may have had with Praveen, for one. Gage told detectives he went home after leaving the trooper on Route 13 and never mentioned any other stops. But with Desiree Dunning's testimony, Gage was caught in another lie. And that means we don't know where else Gage went or what he did after he left Route 13. She testified that Gage asked her if she wants to do some cocaine that night. She said she declined, but she never saw Gage with any cocaine in his possession. And that night, she said that she noticed that Gage had injuries on his knuckles. She said that Bethune was acting like he was drunk. Another witness who testified was Anita Johnson. And like we mentioned in a previous episode, she was the last person to receive a call from Praveen. And during the call, she thinks she heard Praveen say, Anita, don't hang up. Then Anita said she heard what sounded like doors closing and an argument. She said Praveen said, I'm trying to help you to someone who was arguing with him. She later heard what sounded like running and then the call ended. This certainly sounds like a different account than what Gage provided to police. In total, there were 10 witnesses who testified. In the closing arguments, defense attorney Mike Wepsick told jurors that his client is not on trial for lying. He's on trial for felony murder. I like to call this the Scott Peterson defense. You might think my client is awful, or in this case, a chronic liar, but that's not what he's on trial for. I mean, it's not fair, but the personal opinions regarding the defendant often play into the jury's mindset. Yeah, and in his closing argument, Special Prosecutor David Robinson said that the defense painted Praveen as a thief and a thug, trying to put him on trial. But that was just a distraction. Gage's blow to Praveen's head directly led to his death of hypothermia. According to David Robinson, Gage beat Praveen so badly that he wasn't even able to call for help from his own cell phone. The jury deliberated for around seven hours before reaching a verdict of not guilty on the felony murder charge tied to the robbery, but guilty on the first-degree murder charges tied to the aggravated battery. During the reading of the verdict, Gage buried his head on the table in front of him. According to one account, he later vomited in a wastebasket. During the entire trial, Gage was at home, out on bail, but following the verdict, Gage's bond was revoked and he was taken straight to jail. When the jury convicted Gage of first-degree murder, what were your thoughts and feelings at that point? I think I was relieved. I wasn't happy. No guilty verdict is going to bring my son back, so that is not a happy moment. But I was relieved that my son's name was cleared. He was not going to be blamed for his own death anymore. You know, somebody else caused it. And that was such a relief for me. You know, a jury heard it. 
and they made that decision. Gage Bethune faced 20 to 60 years in prison, but that will never happen. So why did the judge overturn Gage Bethune's conviction and let him walk free? That's next time on the series finale of Criminal Conduct. Criminal Conduct was written and produced by me, Javier Leva, with the Pretend Podcast, and John Taylor with the Twisted Podcast. Punit Shinoi, with the Podcast Pundits, helped us with the production and editing on this series. If you want to binge the entire series, all nine episodes, check out the link in the show notes. It will take you to the Criminal Conduct Patreon page. The episodes are also available on Pretend Plus on Apple Podcasts. Our theme music was written and produced by Ruby Rose Fox. Of course, follow us on social media. We are at CriminalCon on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram. All right, we'll talk next week. Creative Back.